the last thing Jesus said after he was resurrected and for 40 days he hung around and over 500 witnesses could testify to the resurrection of Jesus who had died on a cross 40 days earlier. The last thing, the last information he gives his disciples, he gives them a request and a command. And he says, I want you to go and wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit. And when you receive the Holy Spirit, you'll, you will receive power when that Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And I think that something major has, has it's damaged the local church and the body of Christ. This, this major philosophy that most of Christianity happens on a Sunday morning in the context of a church service. Especially in more charismatic circles where unless you have church on Sunday in a way that looks the way it used to look that we really didn't have church or the Holy Spirit really didn't move and I want you to know that when he gave the Holy Spirit to empower them to be witnesses and that that same spirit was promised from one generation to the next to the next to the next and all those who are far off he was showing us that it wasn't designed for you and I just to have goosebumps in the middle of a worship service on a Sunday morning 168 hours you have I have we all have in a week and God has designed you to not just live, everybody's working for the weekend. We're not, just, we're not just worshiping for Sunday. The other 166 and a half hours are designed for you to be empowered, to be a witness everywhere at any time for the name of Jesus. And so when we talk about Mondays, though, Mondays have got a bad rap. Songs have been written all about Mondays. Just another manic Monday. Like crazy stuff about Mondays. Um, this meme kind of describes how some of you feel. It's like, <laughs> and that's you on Monday. It just happens. Do you know some stats? Crazy, crazy statistics here. 40% of people are late for work on Monday. Average person doesn't smile until 1126 on Monday. This, this is an actual survey that was taken. And I, I know the reason why is not because they, they, you know, they found joy. It's because, you know, lunch is only a few minutes away now. Like, that's why they're starting to smile. Monday after the Super Bowl, read this this morning on CNBC, that Monday after the Super Bowl, estimated $3 billion soft cost loss for businesses in America because of the laziness that ensues and the Super Bowl hangover uh, into Monday. It's why there is a literal petition to the White House and to Congress to claim Monday after Super Bowl as a national holiday. It would probably save more money to not have work than to have it. Now, this is crazy. I found this. Happiness by weekday based on Twitter sentiment. In other words, they, they did an algorithm on all the information that was sent through Twitter. And using an algorithm to measure the words on, used in those certain characters, they measured how happy people are in different days. Uh, speaking of which, did you guys hear that, that YouTube and Twitter and Facebook just recently announced a merger? They're all becoming one. That is crazy. It's going to be a huge conglomerate. They're changing the name of it and everything. You, it's going to be called You Twitface. It's crazy. Anyway, 
<laughs> Pastor joke, sorry. <laughs> no, but check this out. This, this, is the, this is the graph. This is happiness by weekday based on Twitter sentiment. Sunday's good, had my church. Tuesday's okay, Wednesday hump day. Into the weekend, but look at Monday. People aren't talking good about Monday. This is crazy. Dr. Alex Berezal, who is a senior fellow for the American Council on Science and Health. He is a PhD in, in, in biomechanics and some other stuff. Um, he did some research on the reality that more deaths occur on Monday than any other day of the week. More heart attacks take place on Monday than any other day of the week. And in his research paper, this is a quote from his research paper. The highest number of deaths occurs on Monday, which makes intuitive sense since Mondays suck. So that's not me, everybody. That's, talk to the doctor about that. But why is there this crazy fascination of hatred towards Mondays? Now, I know maybe that's not you. Maybe you take in Monday and you're like, whoo, let's go. Um, and that's, that's good. We want to we wanna see more of that. But here's the goal of this series that I'm just going to take the month of February, four weeks starting today, and we're going to dive into the other 166 and a half hours of your day when it comes to work and it comes to Mondays. And here's the goal. I want to transform the way we think about work. The Apostle Paul says it like this, be, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The way you think affects the way you feel. And the way you feel affects the way you act. So you wake up thinking about all you've got to do and you feel overwhelmed. How many of you understand that's going to affect the way you act that day? You wake up and you put on the armor of God and you trust the Lord. You start the day right it's going to affect the way you feel. It should affect the way you act. For so long, the church and other organizations have been just about behavioral modification, but that's just the way we act. And it's really difficult to just change the way you act. You will get in line. You will not do that. You will clean your room. But if we can back up and transform the way our kids think, it can affect the way they feel. It affects the way they act. Be transformed, not by what you do, but how you think. And so I want you to be thinking, no matter where you come from, that you can, you can enjoy work. You can enjoy Mondays. Now, you, you're probably saying that's easy for you to say, you know, pastor boy. Like, what do you even do all week long? Like, you know, like pray and sing, you know, shout to the Lord. What, what do you even do? Just read your Bible? Um, I try to. I try to pray. I try to sing. Um, but I feel a lot of the same tensions, believe it or not, in an organization this size with 30-plus employees and uh, 4,000 people that call this their church home um, with 2,500 showing up every weekend and, you know, the other 1,500, you know, we, they'll, they're here when they're here. Christmas and Easter, we call them Christers. And um, it's a joke. But, but we, we've got a lot going on. I've got to deal with HR stuff and tensions on budget and vision and... Issues and conflict. In fact, next week, I've titled the message, Back Off, Becky, because we're going to be talking about conflict and, and how to navigate um, conflict in a healthy way. Um, I want you to, to be thinking differently on how you look at work, because that's how Jesus looks. We want to look at it the way Jesus looks at it. You know the majority of parables happen in a work context that Jesus gives us? 
39 out of 40 of the miracles in the book of Acts, which is the birth of the church, 39 of them are outside of the context of a church service. So many times what we do is we, we, we bottle Jesus up into church. And I just want to start right off the bat by saying no matter where you are in the scheme of things, whatever your job is, maybe you're just getting started or you're on the brink of retirement, you're, you're, you're loving your job or you, you are uh, wishing you could have a different job, um, you're going through a midlife crisis, I, I want you to know this is for you. If you are a full-time mom raising the legacy in your house, this applies to you. A college student, a high school student, you name it, if you have been retired for years, it's not about what you retired from. I'm telling you, it's what you're doing while you're retired. If, you just, if you're just waiting to retire from somewhere and you're not thinking about what you're going to retire to, you're going to miss it. There's work yet to be done after retirement. And I want you to be transformed in the way you think about work. The very first thing that God reveals to us about his own character is not that he is a holy God. It is not that he's a jealous God. It's not that he is a saving God or a grace-filled God. The very first attribute that we receive about God from the word. You don't have to search far. It's the first book, first chapter, first verse, fifth word. In the beginning, God what? In the beginning, God went to work. That's what he did. He began to work. And all of a sudden, you see the essence of every job ever created. He is an architect and a designer, a scientist. He is the landscaper and a zoologist. He's a veterinarian and he's a procreator. He is a parent. He is an engineer and a mechanic and a shepherd and a leader and a manager. He, he goes and he creates. The very first thing he does is he goes to work for six solid days. And on the seventh, he doesn't have to because he's God. But he rests because he needed to show you this is a pattern for life. Now, what if God woke up and in the beginning, instead of him showing us how to live, we showed him how to live. We, he followed our lead instead of us needing to follow his lead. How would Genesis 1-1 read then? It would probably read something a little bit like this. It would say, in the beginning, God woke up late and rushed to work by 8 a.m., cranky and depressed. He emailed a work requisition to his son and spirit to split light from darkness. But they're real slow to email back. So it's like, you know, if you want something done, you got to do it yourself. The next day, he was thinking about creating some stars. But at the end of the day, it was just too much work and his plate was already pretty full. So on day three, he planned to design all the land. And God thought about some mountains and forests and streams and waterfalls and canyons he thought, where could I make the stars at night be big and bright? <laughs> but the day got away from him, so he made everything look like western Kansas. <laughs> day six, he created creatures and us and had a lot of ideas, but he decided to just create a few creatures. A pigeon, a carp. And a cat. 
It's all he created. He saw the cat and was like, why? Why? So he was going to start completely over with the cat, but there was only 30 minutes left in the day. So he just smiled and said to himself, thank me, it's Friday. (laughs) If we gave God his cues very easily, that's the way creation could have looked like. And we'd be stuck with a mess, everybody. But instead, he gives it his absolute best. And the pinnacle of all that is not the trees and the canyons and the rivers. The the pinnacle isn't the sequoias and the humpback whales. The pinnacle was when he created humanity. His prize creation. It's, It's the only thing he breathed himself into. You For God so loved the world doesn't mean for God so loved nature. For God so loved you. He spent the most valuable treasure in heaven on you. In Genesis 1.26, we see that he goes to work and he says, let's make mankind in our image, our likeness, referring to the God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so if you're made in his image, then everything you do, when you breathe in and out, when you breathe in and out, you have an opportunity to to follow Jesus, follow God in the way he looks at work. I'm I'm about ready to blow somebody's mind right here because it's even written in there in the scripture that you're designed for it. Genesis 2.15 The Lord God took the man and put him in paradise, put him in the Garden of Eden to what? Enjoy an all-inclusive resort, of course. Like the Garden of Eden, feel free to eat everything, go crazy, have fun, except that one little tree right there. Stay away from that tree. You must not do that, but you are free to do everything else. All-inclusive. We love leaving jobs to go on vacation like we get away from it all. Get away because God is it Sandals, Jamaica? Like God is over here and they all inclusive. And can you, you can see Adam and Eve just enjoying paradise and eating the fruit and using cheetahs as footstools and like hanging out at the pool in their bathing suits. Even better, they were in their birthday suits. <laughs> and yet God did not design us to leave work And enjoy paradise. Look what the Lord says. The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So write this down if you're taking notes. Number one, God's perfect world includes work. God's perfect world. This was before the fall of man. This is before sin entered into the world. This is before... Um, the, the, the serpent talks to Eve about, did God really say you can't do this, you can't do that? And, oh, you're not going to die. Come on, you know, you, you're fine. Before that, God designed us to work, to work and toil. Now, what's challenging about that is it doesn't feel necessarily like work is a gift from God. It feels like it's more part of the curse, Look at it this way. Work ought to be, the way it's been designed is it ought to be fulfilling, joyful, and life-giving. 
And maybe for some of you, you, you have that to a degree. But most of the time, we tend to define work, or Mondays especially, hard and frustrating and exhausting. Now I want to tell you, you can have fulfilling, joyful, life-giving work, and it still will be hard and frustrating and exhausting. You can be joyful and life-giving and fulfilling to raise kids, but can I say something to you? Raising kids is hard and frustrating and exhausting. It's that it wasn't designed to just be that, so how do, we, how do we get back to, to this even in the middle of that? Well, there's a space in between that creates that tension, and it's sin. Sin says, I want to be my own master. I want to be my own God. I want to be king of my throne. I want to sit on the throne of my life. That's what sin is. I know better than God, so I'm going to do it my way. And I'm going to surrender to myself versus surrendering to him. That's what sin is. Sin isn't really an activity that's the byproduct that's why be transformed by the way by the renewing of your mind you thinking i'm not mine i'm bought with a price i'm not my boss jesus is my king and i'm i'm his son i'm his daughter and the way you think about that should change the way you feel about it should change the way you act about it it all backs up we got to transform the way we think but sure enough, there was a curse, there was toil, there was a challenge and consequences for sin. And Jesus, God begins to lay out all the consequences and he says in Genesis 3.18, because you sinned, I'm going to make childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you'll give birth to children. I don't know what it was going to be like in the garden beforehand. It may have just been, oh, six o'clock. <laughs> I had a baby today, Adam. Oh, Cool. Awesome, yeah, it was no big deal. <laughs> you know, like, but now it's not that. Now it's bring me the ice chips. <laughs> that wasn't your experience? Oh, <laughs> mm. Can I show you something? Child, child, no, back. Children are not a curse. Children are a gift from God. Children are a blessing. Sometimes they can feel like a burden, but they're a blessing. So, so the, the, the curse isn't on children, but, but there are issues that we face to get to the blessing. Here's another scripture there. Curse is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you'll eat food from it all the days of your life. That wasn't the way it was intended, intended to be. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And some of you, when you're at work, we would think it would be joyful, fulfilling, and life-giving if God designed it. But there's thorns and thistles that you've got to navigate. And some of those thorns and thistles have names. Susie. John, boss man, there's some thistles and thorns that you have to work, but, but it's not in your notes, but write it down. The curse isn't on work, it's on the environment. Part of this series, what I want to do is maybe you have a culture that's great to work in, but maybe some of you have to step into what would be like a, a little bit of a toxic culture, a challenging culture. I want, I'm gonna, I want to talk to you through scripture about how to be a thermostat, not a thermometer. Anybody can gauge the temperature in your workplace, but you're called as a Christ follower to change the temperature. You're called to be thermostats more than thermometers, and you, you can help change the atmosphere. And, and, and I, I will tell you something that I love to hear is when people come and, and, and visit our church, um, when they begin to, to dive in and they go through starting point and they get that we, we hear story after story after story about the culture of Timber Creek. 
I want you to know that God doesn't want church on Sunday to be the only time we feel like we're in a good atmosphere. We are called to take it beyond the four walls and be the culture out there. Curse isn't on work, it's on the environment. And we, are, we have come to help change the environment. So what am, I, what am I saying? Write it down, number two. God made me for work. You were made for work. You say, how could he have made me for work? I mean, I'm just, I'm just this. You know, surely there's more to that. Or I'm just that. Or, yes, God made them. They're important. They're, you know, they, they, they're, they're a pastor, so that's why God, God anointed them to do ministry. You are, listen to me, you are not scientists, you are not business owners, you are not lawyers, you, you, you are not teachers, you are not college students, you are not professors, you are not bankers, you, you are not custodians that happen to be Christians. Listen to me, you are Christians who just happen to live out the calling of God on your life as much as it is on my life in that capacity. See, Jesus didn't just come and was just a teacher, but because Jesus was a teacher, he shows us how Jesus would teach. He teaches with kindness and compassion, and he cares about his students. Jesus comes, you think, man, all I do is I clean up after people. All I, I pick up trash, or I'm a custodian. He said, man, how does Jesus, do you, do you know one of the greatest things Jesus did was leave heaven, come to earth to clean up your mess? He came up and he sweeps up all the sin of the world and he takes it upon himself. Stuff that we made a mess of and he cleans it up. And although your sin be like crimson, he will make it white as snow. You know what we say to our custodians here at Timber Creek? If you're here to clean up after people, people become the enemy. And that can't like be, you know. Um, because, you know, we are a church and people ought not be the enemy. So we have to look at it as an act of, we have to look at it that God made me for work. And so you're not cleaning up after people. You're preparing a place where people experience Jesus. You're not just cleaning up. You're preparing a place where people's God-given potential starts unfolding. Whoa. The chairs you take out, when you mop that up, you're preparing a place for those kids. When, you, when, you're, when you're getting crayons off the wall. Oh, Jesus, touch him. Touch him, Jesus. <laughs> God made me for work. The, the, the word in the original manuscript, in the original language of the Bible, for the word work here in the context of Genesis, when he talks about to work and toil, it's the word avad. It's not abad. Not like, you know, Adam was talking to his friends. <laughs> Eve, she's got a great abad. Um, it was, sorry. Uh, it was, it's avad, avad. And here's what avad means. Avad means to work, accomplish, and do. Makes sense? We get it. We're, we're made to work. We accomplish. We work. We do. All right? Here's what's interesting. When Jesus says there, there's people that live on sandy foundation and a strong foundation, you know what he's talking about? People that hear but don't do. They hear the word, but they don't do anything. They're like a sandy foundation. You hear and you do, you work at it, then your foundation becomes stronger. But here's the interesting piece. Not only is a vod used to define work, accomplish, doing, 
But all throughout Scripture, it is also used in the context, a second definition, the exact same word, and the second definition is worship and worshiping. And it's coincidental. Don't get into numerology, but it's coincidental that 52 different times all through Scripture, 52 times in Scripture, avad is used. It's almost as if Jesus was saying, I'm going to give you one out of every week that you work to show you work. You were designed for it. Because here's the deal. Here's the deal. You know what you were designed for? You were designed for avad. You were designed that not, not to be forced, but to avad. To avad Jesus. To worship. You were designed to worship him. And our worship doesn't start and stop with songs on Sunday. Our worship is how we spend our life as a, as a, as a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving to him. So write it down, number three. My work is an act of worship. If you will start thinking when you get up in the morning that I am worshiping God by the way I work. It can take any kind of crazy situation and make it an opportunity for a sanctuary. It can take your, your hard thistles and thorns and you can see the goodness through it. But you've got to choose to let your work be an act of worship. Here's some ways you, you, you do it. Okay, so, so you would say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. So some people think they make their, their job into an act of worship because like their job, they kind of put a kibosh on saying Merry Christmas so everybody says Happy Holidays, but bless God, you're not going to say. So every time you get a chance, you're like, Merry Christmas, everybody. That, that's not what I mean, making it, you know, an atmosphere of worship. All right. You finish a sales call and say, hey, I'm so glad I was able to sell you life insurance. This is great, but but what about insurance after life? <laughs> you don't have to do that. Hey, I've got your name on our email list, but my real question is, does God got your name in the Lamb's Book of Life? <laughs> like, don't be weird. Don't be a goofball. Do you know why people say the church is full of hypocrites? It's not because they're in church counting hypocrites. It's because they're in work, seeing hypocrites in work. It's not because they went around doing a survey on church on Sunday morning. It's because people have taken work and instead of being a lawyer who happens to be a Christian, they've got, they, need, they need to be a Christian who happens to be a lawyer. And what happens is we taint the whole message of Jesus by not looking to work as a way we worship God. And it messes people up. And yes, I will just tell you, the church is full of hypocrites. It's true. It's true. So is Walmart and so is Taco Bell. People are still getting Mexican pizzas and people are still getting their tires changed at Walmart. So what we have to do is we got to flip that and we got to be transformed by the way we think about work. You still with me so far, everybody? All right. So let me just give you thoughts on work as an act of worship. When it pursues the highest standards of excellence... Christ followers ought to be the ones that do the regular things really, really, really well. That you speak well. That you work well. That, that, that you set 
the example, that you do it with excellence. Paul says in Colossians, whatever you do, whatever it is, do you know in the original language, the Greek for whatever, do you know what it means in the original language? Whatever, that's all it means. It means whatever. Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. It's the Lord Christ you are serving Now, let me tell you what that doesn't sound like. It doesn't sound like, okay, boss, yeah, I'll tell you what, I'm not working today for you. I'm working for Jesus, okay? I know, you asked me to do this on the weekend, I'm gonna do it, but it's not because I like you, it's because I love Jesus. Y'all need Jesus. It's not the way to do it. You serve by being servant-hearted. And again, I wanna talk about in the weeks to come, Setting the tone, being the thermostat for unusual servitude in the workplace. Um, my, My work is an act of worship when it reflects the highest standard of ethics. Doing things excellent but cutting corners is not excellent. Um... Look look what scripture says in Proverbs 11. Dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord. That's That's heavy words. But a just weight is his delight. I think anybody can be tempted in this. Let me give you an easy example. Let me give you an easy example. You buy a car from from a private seller. And you bought it for $8,000. But when you go to pay your taxes, you say you only bought it for $3,000. Oh, somebody, we, we, just got, we just got quiet, right? Because I don't have to pay the eight whatever percent on 8,000. They already got enough of my money. So I'm just going to fudge the number a little bit. That's a dishonest scale. And I say that because this last year, I bought a car in Oklahoma, drove it down, and I was sitting in the tax office, and I was writing it out, and it asked what the cost was. And for a moment... For a moment, I thought, I'm going to have to get taxed on this. Now, thank God, I did the right thing. I'm not perfect. I did the right thing, and I wrote the exact amount. But, but nobody's above temptation to cut a corner. Nobody's above temptation to say, ah, it's fine, or to call in sick when, when really you need to take the personal day, but you're trying to save the personal day because you got sick days, you don't need the personal day. You, like, you got to be honest. All right? it, it, look, look at another scripture, Psalm 15. It's in the message paraphrase. In, the, in a, NIV, it says, who may ascend your holy hill? Who may spend time with you? But I love it how it says in the message, God, who gets invited to dinner at your place? How do we get on your guest list? How do we get to spend time with you? And God responds in the psalm by saying, walk straight, act right, tell the truth. Don't hurt your friend. Don't blame your neighbor. Despise the despicable. Keep your word even when it, what? Mm. Make an honest living. Never take a bribe. You'll never get blacklisted if you live like this. My work is an act of worship. Another one. When it makes blessing others the bottom line. I want you to know it's an act of worship, not when it's just unto yourself, but you serve God by serving others through the income you receive. If you're just working just for you, you're wor- you, you are building your own kingdom. 
You're building your own kingdom. Look, look, what, uh, look what Paul says. He says in 2 Thessalonians, we worked hard day and night so we would not be a burden to any of you. We certainly had the right to ask you to feed us, but we wanted to give you an example to follow. He worked really hard. Even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. That's a pretty strong command. You don't work, you don't eat. Now I understand that there is space, there is room for help. I hope the church is able to help people in their time of need. I think it's okay for the government to have certain programs that help. What's okay is when people really need it that we would help people. What's not okay is when those things become a crutch to become foolish and to become sluggardly and to not work. And then we just rely on that. And I know that people have stories to tell where they've had to rely on other people at times. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. But don't ever hook, line, and sinker take in that that's where God wants to keep you. God has more. He wants to help you. In fact, Ephesians 4.28, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Can I tell you something? All that you have is God's. He owns it all. He has it all. All that you have is God's. And I want to say to you, when you give to those in need, that's not tithing. Tithing is actually paying back the first portion of everything God gave you. It's more of a paying him back the first portion. I give my kids 10 Oreos. I say, have these 10 Oreos. May I have one, or one of those 10 Oreos? And they say, I want my 10. Okay, then fine, I'll take all 10. I'm going to dip them and I'm going to eat them right in front of you then. Just watch. Ah, I'm just going to, ah, ah. No, give me my one. You got nine Oreos. Just pay me back for the goodness of giving you the Oreos. That's what tithe is. When we're giving, listen, when we work to be a blessing to others, ladies, gentlemen, don't think of your work as just a means to an end. Think of your work as a way to, and it's, it's, it's in your notes, but it's not in my slides. It's the next one. When it seeks to advance, that's the word, when it seeks to advance Jesus' mission where it can. I promise you, business owner, you, you did not just start a business to bless your employees alone. There, there is an advancement of Jesus' mission through those people and in your community and in your church. There's power in that. Advance the mission of Jesus. Whether you are what you would call at the bottom of the ladder or whether you built the ladder, advance the mission of Jesus in the way you work. Let me finish with a warning. Warning, watch out, careful, stop, hold up, back up the truck. Don't get it twisted where you begin to worship your work. Okay, work is an act of worship. Okay, don't start worshiping the work, worship God. But write it down, work can easily and has easily become the primary source of identity and idolatry. Do you know why the Israelites struggled so much? Because their main work, trusting God and they had all these other gods and they were putting all these other gods before them, is because their main work was agriculture. Their main work was agriculture. They, 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 if, they, if it didn't rain, if it didn't rain, they didn't get the fruit of their labor. And so what would they do? 
they would start praying to other gods, other rain gods. They didn't trust the one true God. They started praying to the crop God. They started praying to the dirt God. And so we, ne- we don't really live in an agrarian society. So what we, what we start doing, when the going gets tough, when there's a little bit of a rumor of, of layoffs, yeah, that can be intimidating. That can be scary. I know what that feels like. But can I also say to you, if your work is your source of everything, then all of a sudden, ABC Company has become Jehovah Jireh, your provider. And it's not. It, the name may be on the check, but God is your provider. Don't let it become a place of your own identity. Full-time employees, it becomes part of who you are. You start defining yourself. No matter, no matter what it is, you define yourself in what you're doing versus who God's called you to be in what you're doing. Let me just put it this way. Work is a terrible God. It'll let you down. It won't keep its promises. It'll overlook you. It, 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 it won't necessarily provide everything for you. It's a terrible God. Can I tell you what God is? God is a great God. And cast your cares on him. Trust him. And let every moment of work be an act of worship. Let me finish with this thought. And then I'm going to do something special for all locations where I'm going to, we're going to join in, in something different. Um, Robert, uh, Robert Briner wrote the book Roaring Lambs. And it's really about the church being the church in the workplace, the church being the church in the marketplace. And there's this, there's this great quote from the book. It says, there should be no less support or attention for an earnest Christian young person who has been accepted to the Juilliard School of Music than for one going off to a theological seminary. In other words, you're not coming to hear a pastor who's called of God to be a minister. We're all ministers. Sometimes we get it wrong. Story of the feeding of the 5,000. The disciples go out. They take one little meal. Jesus breaks it down. And the disciples serve the crowd, right? Well, because we gather in a crowd like this, sometimes when we hear the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, we think we're coming to church to be fed. How many people leave? I just wasn't getting fed. But when you have bowed a knee to Christ... Can I say something to you? You may feel like the crowd right here. You're not the crowd. You're the 12. And you're way more important than Tom Brady. You're the 12. You're the disciples. You're the pastors in your workplace. You're the evangelists. You're the teachers. You're the prophets. You're the apostles. You're, you're, you're the church out there. God's called me just to be a tour guide for you and help equip you to do what God's called you to do out there. Robert goes on to say, the church needs writers, performers, artists, speakers, politicians, businessmen, businesswomen, and workers in every craft and trade. In God's eyes, there should be no hierarchy. There certainly should not be in ours when he's referring to pastors who are called to do ministry when really all of us are in ministry. All of us are in ministry. So what I want to do the same way that a few years ago, almost 20 years ago, I walked down front in a special church service in Kansas. 
And men older than me, mentors and pastors laid their hands on Janet and I. And it was a commissioning service where I, was an ordain, I became an ordained minister of the gospel. It wasn't something I bought for $19.99 on ordainme.com. It took some work. It took some work. And I believe in, in working to show yourself approved. I, I, I believe in that. But the same way those people laid hands on me and commissioned me, I want to commission you as we launch into the next few weeks of this service. And so I've written down some, uh, I've written down some names of workplaces, some different areas, different arenas of work. And when I, the moment you hear that it applies to you in all locations, now listen, Duncan and Dieball, you have to look at every day, maybe you don't go clock in outside, but there's stuff you do there that's work. And you ought to work with all your heart too. And maybe one of these applies to something where you were before you found yourself where you are today. When that applies, then you, you stand up. If you're able, stand up too. And we want you to join in on this. Okay, Nacogdoches, Dieball, Duncan, everybody. So when I call something that you're involved in, I want you to stand and just stay standing, okay? If you are an artist or a musician, creatives, advertising, marketing, film, television, web, or print design, would you stand? Awesome. Entrepreneurs, business owners, would you please stand? If you are currently, you would consider yourself retired, please stand. If you're healthcare, pharmaceutical, biotech, medical, nursing, in some facet of the field of science, would you please stand? Wow, a lot of drug dealers in the house. <laughs> if you are a part of education, home education, school education, uh, publicly, athletics, coaching, fitness, daycare, college students. You're a full-time college student. You're a full-time middle student or a middle school student or high school student. If you work in the government or state, local, federal, if you're part of our military, if you're part of um, police or uh, EMT or fire department, if you gave me a ticket recently, sit back down. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. If you work in the arena of law, finance, accounting, tax. If you're in between and you're not sure what's next, you've been looking, please stand. If it's real estate or construction, architecture, transportation, uh, a trade like a plumber, electrician, painter, mechanic, carpenter, custodian, any service industry, serving waiting tables, um, servicing in any kind of thing, telemarketing, retail, food service, hairstylists, chefs, business and technology, consulting, professional services, engineering, manufacturing. And if there's anything else, if there's anything else, that's the final one, everybody stand. Because wherever you are, you don't have to receive a paycheck to put worship back into your work. Now, as everybody on all locations is, remains standing, I want to pray a prayer that I, that I wrote out this morning. And I'm, I'm gonna, I want to commission you this morning. I can't lay my hands on every one of you, but I, I do want to pray for every one of you.
And I invite that if you're, if you're comfortable, would you maybe take both hands and just place them on your heart like this? And I wanna pray this commissioning prayer over you today. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for the accomplishments represented in this room. Wow, thank you for the success stories in all the rooms represented in Tibber Creek that have and are unfolding. Thank you for strengthening those that have been thinking about stopping short. Thank you, Lord, for never stopping short on us when it comes to your grace and your love and your forgiveness. Now, Father, I ask for your favor to rest upon these evangelists for your hope and grace and mercy. May they experience new opportunities and open doors into the dreams they're dreaming. May they flourish as a result of a strong work ethic, a spirit of excellence, dedicated study to their craft. May they be cautious to not link their identity to a career. Instead, may they leverage their career as a canvas to display the gifts you've given them, not just for their personal development and comfort, but for a much greater good, for your kingdom come and will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May they leverage their talents to see way beyond themselves and do something great in their communities. They may not make a difference in the world, but you have called them to make a difference in their world. May they be reckless with compassion and kindness. May they not only set huge, audacious goals and accomplish every single one of them, but may they walk in every single day guided by your convictions and your conduct and character. Most importantly, no matter what they face, no matter the cultural pressure, when others take the easy road, when others lose faith, when others bow out, when others cut corners, I pray they would stand strong and be courageous and fear not for you are with them. I pray they would love you with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength outside the four walls of the church and outside the context of a Sunday morning experience and a small group study. I pray they would stand on your promises, rest in your goodness, Live for your purposes, committed to your great commission, and flourish in your grace that is given every day. May you bless them and keep them. Make your face to shine upon them. Give them a peaceful and prosperous future. And may the worship you every day of the week in the way they work every day, including today, and especially on Monday. We ask these things in the name of Jesus the strong son of God. And everybody said a strong amen.